Hey, this is Steve Aoki. And Saurabh Faroudi of the FCF Ballers Collective, where we appreciate football fans through NFTs that let them take control of the game. Keep listening to The Edge of NFT, where they appreciate NFT fans by delivering incredible episodes that let them take control of the future. Stay tuned. Hey there, NFT curious listener. Stay tuned for an incredible episode. We'll find out about NFTs that let you control literally every aspect of live football games. We'll get an inside look at a few of our guests' recent trading card maneuvers. And we'll also manage to wind our way through DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince, brain science, and longevity research in the same conversation. Find out how, all this and more on today's show. Enjoy. And remember, NFTLA is coming up March 28th to the 30th. It will be an unforgettable experience featuring the creme de la creme in the NFT space. Head on over to nftla.live to get your tickets as early as possible for the best pricing. And if you or someone you know wants to partner with us to co-create this special, unforgettable experience, there are still opportunities to get involved. They're also going fast. So please reach out at contact at edgeofnft.com. Welcome to The Edge of NFT with your hosts, Jeff Kelly, Ethan Janney, and Josh Krieger. The podcast that brings you the top 1% of NFTs today and what will stand the test of time. We explore the nuts and bolts and the business side and also the human element of how NFTs are changing the way we interact with the things we love. This podcast is for the dreamers, disruptors, and doers who are pumped about this ecosystem and driving where it goes next. Today's episode features guests Steve Aoki and Saurabh Arudi, who are collaborating on FCF Ballers Collective, the first and only NFT project that puts holders in control of IRL professional sports teams. A little bit about each of them. Saurabh is founder and CEO of Fan Controlled Football, a real-world professional sports league where the fans call the shots, creating a hybrid of esports and traditional sports for the digital age. FCF launched their hugely successful inaugural season in 2021 and are ready to take their league size to double for spring of 22. Prior to the FCF, Sorub founded Franchise in 2015, which built a real-time play calling and fan engagement application for the Salt Lake Screaming Eagles. It led to the creation of FCF. Sorub is accomplished in international C-level executive and venture-backed entrepreneur. He's been CEO for multiple startups and raised over $20 million in angel and venture financing. He's been investor and advisor to numerous companies for a decade. A little bit about Steve. He's a two-time Grammy-nominated producer and DJ and is one of today's most successful American cross-genre artists with 2.8 billion collective music streams on Spotify. As founder in 1996 of the trend-setting record label events, lifestyle company, and apparel line Dim Mock Records, Steve has helped launch the careers of numerous global acts. They include the Chainsmokers, Block Party, the Bloody Beatroots, the Gossip, and the Kills, among many others. Forbes recognizes him as in the top five world's highest-paid DJs and the world's hardest-working DJ, counting more than 250 tour dates per year. In 2012, Steve founded the Aoki Foundation, which primarily supports research in brain science, regenerative medicine, and brain preservation. Most recently, Steve released his critically acclaimed memoir entitled Blue, The Color of Noise, published 
by St. Martin Press. Guys, welcome to Edge of NFT. What's thanks up? For thanks us. for having me. Yeah, thanks for having both of us. Yeah, yeah it's really Amazing. awesome to have you guys here. I want to jump right in here and start at the beginning of your respective NFT journeys. I want to know from each of you, what was your intro to the NFT space and when and why did it stick for you? How about we start with Steve? Oh, I got involved in NFTs or like when I heard about NFTs previous to summer of 2020, but that's when the summer of 2020 is when I was like, oh, I can actually become a creator in the space. And um, I just said, I'm lucky because for some reason, DJs and NFT culture have like, there's been a strong magnetism. And if you look at like the landscape of DJs now, that are active, a lot of them are already into, into the NFT space. Back then, there's two DJs underneath the management that, that manages me. One's Blau, which I'm sure if you're in NFTs, you already know who he is. And the other is RAC. And he's also he's been doing a lot. They're already doing stuff. Small, but like, hey, you know, like I remember when Justin was telling me before I got involved, I was like, yo, I just, we just made like 75 grand on a collection or 50 grand, you know, like, and um, I, I remember um, I just made a tape. Basically, it's like my album, but we sell as an NFT before the album comes out in six months. And it ended up becoming the most expensive cassette tape. Cassette tape sold for like $4,000 or something, $4,500. And most expensive cassette tape ever sold was Prince or something like that. And that was like four grand. So RAC has the most expensive cassette tape ever sold because it was attached to an NFT. That's so cool. So this is all happening at that time. And we're all like in a tight-knit community, obviously, because we're under the same management. If we could do this, Steve, you could do this. And I mean, with your reach, you could probably do it bigger, you know? And I'm like, oh, this is very interesting. I've always been, just being an A&R in general, this is what I do. As a DJ, I'm trying to find records people haven't heard yet, so I could play them and, and like, wow, by it peers, Right. Before now, before you play vinyl, you like hide the label on the vinyl. So no one would see what you're playing. Cause you, cause like you have a special record. Like you have to dig and dig and find these records on the label side. I have to go out and find artists and before another ma major label or big art, big label finds them and develop them and blow them up. I'm always trying to discover and find new things early. And I have a joy of that discovery. I've always said like before, this is 200 years ago, what I would be 200 years ago or 300 years ago, I would be like on the ships, sailing the seas, trying to find undiscovered land. That's where I would probably be like risking my life. I love that kind of art of discovery. And it's, it's just part of the nature of my DNA, my brain chemistry. Anytime it's, I have a position to be early in something that's exciting, new, I am a big techie futurist optimist as far as technology and future goes that's, that's why i'm all about the brain that's why i want to we're raising all this money for the brain is because this right here if we could advance it further as long as it's in our lifetime we could become androids in our lifetime we're definitely going to be there we're definitely going to go there but if, imagine if we could do it in our lifetime we had to put money here on how we could do that and also 
what are we talking about with NFTs? Sorry, I'm going all over the fucking place. But, no, um, no, I'm totally not wed to my iPhone. I would love to be an Android in my lifetime. That sounds pretty <laughs> awesome. We also we're already <laughs> we're already augmented. Like we're like you know yeah. like just having a phone is like you're basically the first like level A of Android because you have to use this to like get around. You know like GPS, whatever the fuck you use it for. NFTs. It's like when you think about it, it's this is a tool of the future. It's technology. Yeah, art is the front facing. That's what people are saying. Like, oh, it's art, it's beautiful. But it's technology behind it. When you go behind the cover of it, when you look behind the curtain, it's like the new exchange of how it works in the future. It'll be just the same way that the internet was looked at before the internet was a boom. Like, oh my God, like what's going on? Like we were no IRL time. Like, I mean, it's just the way it's gonna be. But mixture of both. And whoever does it best is gonna win. To make it quick, I'll just say summer 2020, I got in. Same time I got into physical trading cards, COVID was like the breeding ground for like these, like to actually spend time. You know, I got into day trading. I got into all kinds of fun stuff because I was just home. I never would have had time for this if I was touring. I would have never had time. I would have been like, oh, this is cool. But I got linked in with a certain groups, one of which is with Gary V and some other friends. Once you get into some of these like, group chats and with some of these influential people that are like making moves. And just like me, it's the idea. It's like, okay, you have an interest of what's happening. There's like people like, oh, that's cool. Curious, interesting. But then there's like another group of people that's like, oh, this is cool, curious, interesting. And now I'm going to execute on them and take risks. Okay. There's two different groups of people. I feel like a lot more people are here and the curious, like cool, interesting, but they're too scared to take the risk. Because the risk is is quite scary. And it's like next day, everything goes, drops off a cliff. And you're like, why did I do that? I should have not done my FOMO because it's such a fucking FOMO culture. <laughs> NFTs, it's so FOMO. I've never felt so much fucking FOMO in my life. <laughs> and it's scary. And you you like need to do it. You need to act on impulse. But you also, you you, you will lose but at the same time, you can win. It's just fucking crazy. It's, it's far. Or you win, and then you go to sleep, and you lost. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, I mean, and I don't have that. My biggest problem is I like to jump in, jump in. But, like, because I'm so busy, I don't jump out too much. So I am, like, we in, need to, Steve, ways, we I'm, need a, to I'm a perfect collector. A, we need to create a and jump holy. out DAO. That's the solution. Like, I'm totally fine with jumping in. There's plenty of alpha floating around, but we need a DAO that helps us jump out of the water. Exactly what you said is what will help me create the most gains because I go in and I'm like, I'm just like, I'm just like, I'm very immersive. Like whatever I do, I'm like hundred percent in. When I do shows, I'm doing 200 plus shows a year. When I'm in the studio, I'm like working 12 to 16 hours in the studio. When I'm working on a project, I'm like fully in. You know, and then now this is like my favorite passion, you know, and I'm not saying now I'm just saying like the way I see NFTs, it's the rest of my life in five years, there'll be something else, which will be an adopted, evolved adaptation of what NFTs are. And I will be part of that and it'll be part of the next thing. But this step as immersive as it is, it's like full on, you know. We got one of one of the leaders and doers, right? Which is that important step that you mentioned, Steve, right? Like actually executing. I know Saurabh has been getting after it for several years now. We met him, I guess it's almost five years ago now, and he was out there making it happen with FCF. We'd love to hear your story as well, Saurabh. 
dissimilar from Steve. I think it's interesting. We both share some passion, sports cards. I've been collecting sports cards actually back since 2009, 2010. Got in before the pandemic. So I was collecting when it was nerdy uh, to collect cards and now it's cool to collect cards. So uh, I evolved from a nerd to being super cool collecting cards, which felt pretty good. But for me, you know, NFTs, I think I went down the blockchain rabbit hole back in 2017. Um, always looked at applications specifically around digital collectibles. I'm a nerd passion. I mean, I've got my Dak Prescott cards on my desk here with me. Like, I mean, I, I am a big collector. And so I always looked at how blockchain could be integrated into what we're doing at Fan Control Football, more on the, the collectible side of things. And that's where I really looked at that first integration, as well as like, if you think about what we're building as a real life video game, integrating some sort of digital currency or digital item economy that would really bring this into a video game-like experience for fans is was my first thought. Fast forward to basically eight months ago, I really went down the NFT rabbit hole. I think Top Shots I was interested in. I actually don't own a single Top Shot, which is crazy because I'm a huge sports card collector, but just never liked how they were doing it. I think there's just too much supply and I don't want to own a layup from a game in the middle of the season that is meaningless. Like just not what I like to collect or how I like to collect. Four Dave Yacht Club, I'm wearing the, the hoodie, brought me in. I got really interested in the community uh, that was forming around BAYC was the one that kind of first got me in. And then as I started diving in and really getting close to projects, I think what struck me is a couple of words, passion, family, and belonging. And those three things to me, like when I started getting involved in a project, it doesn't matter if there was a hundred people on a project that wasn't doing well or 10,000 people plus like board apes, everybody uses those words again and again and again. I feel part of a family. I feel like I belong. I feel like I've made more friends in the last 12 months in this space than I have in the last 12 years in my real life. Right. And so as I was looking at how does fan-controlled football, you know, continue to innovate and, and continue to build digital community, which is what we're all about, right? It's this real-world experience, but the entire experience for fans is digital. This opportunity to bring, you know, NFTs and digital collectibles and really bring community into the fold was something that I thought was really powerful. That's why we're here. When people ask me, what are some of the most innovative projects in the space? So Rob, you don't know this, but I talk about you a lot, my friend, not only because Jeff and I were early investors. I'm excited to say that we got in before Animoca Brands. That's kind of fun. But mainly because I think the concept is so innovative. So if you could, please break it down for our listeners. Yeah, well, well fan-controlled football, I guess, at, at a high level, you could call it a real-life version of Madden. This is real professional football on the field. We had Johnny Manziel and Josh Gordon play in our first season. We had two guys. Their first professional experience was in fan-controlled football that are now playing you know, in the NFL so the high quality football on the field, but the fan engagement model is literally all about fans making the decisions. Everything from designing the team names and logos to drafting the players out of the player pool that we bring. Fans actually draft all the players onto the team. And then literally in real time, as you watch the games, fans are selecting the play and the players on the field are executing the every play uh, that the fans want to see. So it is the ultimate fantasy gaming experience for fans in sports. We can dive into everything we're doing on the NFT and, and blockchain and, and Web3 side, but it just, as we look at expanding this world that we're building into multiple sports, right? We want to do fan-controlled baseball. 
fan-controlled basketball, fan-controlled cricket, the power of Web3, the power of, of community building. And honestly, I, I think the beauty of Web3 being international, right? Our goal out of the gate with fan-controlled football, even though it's American football, was to be international out of the gate. You know, one of the reasons I was attracted to Steve and having him be part of this was he's got this massive international audience because what we created was a league with no geographic barrier, right? There's no city-based teams. These are influencer-led teams. And the idea is the influencers are really part of the experience. They're creating content. They're at the games. You know, they're participating in the broadcast. And the fans get to experience winning a championship with the people that they love to follow and that they love to see create and they love to see innovate. And so it's really a community-led league, open source as it gets in terms of sports. And I'm really excited for what we can leverage with Web3 to, to, to build and, into the, and- the experience. It's amazing, man, to think about how symbolic what you're building is with our times where we are sort of able to converge across the globe in a much more efficient way and and build community. Are you still playing the games in Vegas? Is that how it's working? We're in Atlanta now. We're building out a purpose venue, actually, for for season two, which is coming up in April. We're going to unveil what that venue looks like uh, soon, but it's going to be a really magical in-person experience. As much as this is for the digital fan, there's going to be 2,500 or 3,000 people every game that are going to just have an unbelievable in-person experience to come watch and, and participate in Atlanta. So we're excited to, to make all those announcements. Well, that's not too far from Jeff in Sarasota. And I'm sure my girlfriend's mother would be excited that we have another reason to go to Atlanta. So I'm, I'm, <laughs> there I'm, you I'm go. down. Come on, man. We've, been, tra- right. we've April, been traveling April for like- 16th. Yeah, I get it. We've, we've all been traveling over the last month, Miami, New York, Josh in Puerto Rico now. So many cool things happening. I mean, the space has been evolving you know, so quickly. And I wanted to take a moment, Steve, and talk a little bit about the things you've been doing in the NFT space. I mean, you've been low-key building a resume of collaborations on some of the most impactful NFT projects in the space. One day it may even rival your, your music accomplishments, but I know that's a tall order, man. But we're that long NFTs that we think that that is actually possible. Talk us through the journey of NFT projects that you've helped bring to life so far and how that led you to the Ballers Collective. One of the most exciting things about this whole landscape is that if you have an idea, you can actually build on it. Whereas like in other industries, especially in the IRL, you can't just go, I have a great idea. It's going to happen. It just doesn't happen like that. Like everyone has got brilliant ideas. There's a brilliant idea popping up every second on the planet and people have a hard time executing on them because it just costs a lot of money. It requires a team. It requires a lot of time commitment. All that is just, it makes it very difficult in this digital landscape the metaverse, NFTs, and all of the above, if you have a brilliant idea, you don't have to have a very large team to execute on it. I think there's a lot of stories of people like, you know, that are, you know, anonymous people that like just have this idea. They don't have to have any clout or any influence in the game, any like fame. And if you are about exactly what Sorab is saying, community and building with the people that believe in your vision and having this real-time conversation to do something great of service to what that vision is all about, you will be able to create something that's impactful. And at the end of the day, you know, you have to think about it like this, you know, before I go into like the resume, it's like, this is like the ethos that you have to have. I feel like it's not about money. You can't put money in the front view and money will come. 
If you create a great service of whatever you do in the world, IRL, digital, whatever it is, money will happen. You know, I mean, there's so many times I like, I remember the first few years of me DJing, I was DJing hundreds of shows for free just to get my face out there. All of us, just to get to where we are, we did so much work just to show that we have a value to what we're doing. You have to show that value. And I think that's what's important. Eventually that you'll make money. And anyways, during that journey, if you're having a great time, you shouldn't even worry about the money because I go back to like when I was a DJ, before I was a DJ, when I was in bands, I toured across the US 14 times. We would play in front of literally eight to 30 people, maybe 35 people a show, getting paid anywhere between $18 to $40 to $50 a show, driving 10 hours between gigs, sleeping in the van. And after 30 days of touring, we go back and we're like, I can't wait to do it again. If, if you love the journey, it doesn't matter about the money. Then you go back and you, you work your jobs. Like all my bandmates, we had like two, three jobs, but we were excited to get back on the road. Passion is incredibly important in developing community. And you want the community to be about the culture of it. And then, yes, of course, you know, you have to make money in what you're doing, but you want to find the passionate people in your community. When you find that, instead of bots, you find like real people that want to build you're going to have something that's going to be sustainable, have longevity and have that same impact. You know, otherwise it's just like, you don't want a bunch of flippers in there. Of course, we want people to win. Yeah. And that's another thing that's important about NFTs I've learned through this journey is how important taking care of the secondary market is and taking care of the collectors and investors that believe in the vision that, that you put out there, the idea that you put out there. Going to the, you know, all the different projects I've done, my brain is always moving. I'm always trying to think of something that can evolve what I'm working on. And I think at this point in time, with the amount of people that I've met and the great relationships that I've built on, this is where I'm acting on it. Like I'm like, oh, Todd McFarlane, we have a great relationship. Whenever I go to Arizona, we get dinner, we talk about just like what we do and like what was going on in the world. We always think about collaborating. This is a perfect way to collaborate much more than doing a spawn t-shirt with Dimock. This is something that we can have a real major impact on not just what we're doing personally, but on our, both of our industries and combining the force and building a marketplace. And that's why we created odd key. Similar thing with my passion in, in TCG and sports cards and just cards in general, card collectors. And I love the actual trading card game aspect as well. Although I'm not a gamer in that way, I don't play cards, but I do respect that whole world. And as you know, I became a partner in a incredible IP called MetaZoo, a trading card game called MetaZoo. This is a great for it to develop the digital trading card aspect that is still on the front lines. I mean, still like very, very early in the space and build that out because that will be become very normal for people to do that. I'm talking when, it, if anyone's confused with what I'm talking about, Magic the Gathering is a trading card game, Yu-Gi-Oh, Pokemon. The cards were developed for actual playability, but there's for Pokemon, for example, over 90% of the people, 94% of the people that buy these cards don't play. They collect, they open the packs for the joy of getting these cards. That's more of me. Whereas my partner in MetaZoo is more in the trading card aspect. I just love merging, converging, disrupting, as you guys were talking about. This show, this podcast is all about disruptors. 
And that's when I reached out to Sotheby's as well about working together. And I was like, whatever we do, I want it to be fresh. I want it to be new. I don't want it just to be like another collection. I don't want you guys to just use my name and then we do something. I want it to be the first. So like the first one was putting NFTs next to fine art. That was the first time there's a collection with NFTs and fine art on the same wall in the same collection. And that might not sound like a big deal, but five years later, it will be a very important moment in time. The fact that Sotheby's an institution in fine art put digital artists right next to Basquiat, Warhol, Murakami's. I mean, just like the most important eclectic art that actually I got to curate and pick and choose. So that was very cool. So I think that's a really, really, really important thing that happened. The next thing I did was bring in TCG, which has never been part of Sotheby's ever as well, into the fine art world as an NFT. That's the thing. It's like right now we have the opportunity to have all these firsts to develop more firsts. And it's just exciting. Every day I open up my phone and I'm like saying, oh my God, that's just a really inventive way to do this. When I heard what Saurabh was doing with FCF, I'm like, this is what people want. They want to own a team. Like how many fantasy footballers, fantasy football people, like there's millions of people that like create fantasy football teams that aren't necessarily going to the games. Like this is how they track. They're like, this is their way of owning their players, right? Like I own a piece of this. Now you could technically own a team. I mean, when I heard about this concept, just a concept alone, I'm like, oh my God, this is a game changer. That's what's happening now. It's like, like you could do this. You could develop a whole league. And so Rob did it. And I'm just like, I heard about that. I was like, I'm jumping fully in because it's just brilliant. Yeah, there's so much I can relate to, Steve, that you shared. I mean, I think Ethan, Jeff, and I, a couple episodes in back in March, we had this like pause after our guests left the green room. We we're just like, holy fuck, we can do this for the rest of our lives. It's an honor and a privilege to interview disruptors making converging technology and Web3 come together in incredible ways. And I have the fortunate job or unfortunate job of receiving the request to be on the show. We get dozens, hundreds sometimes that want to come on and talk about these things. And the stuff that comes into the inbox just blows my mind. It absolutely blows my mind. And if we could have a 24-7 podcast, if there's a way to do that, we would, because there's so much incredible disruption happening in real time as we speak all over the globe. And it's great to hear your passion, Steve, for FCF. And the thing I always think of, too, when I think of FCF is this moment where the NHL let the fans vote for the All-Star team. I don't know if you guys are familiar with this. And they ended up voting on this guy that was like a super unlikely candidate just to kind of watch him play and kind of be in that environment. And I think he ended up actually scoring a goal. And yeah, it's just like you said, Steve, people, I'm a musician, too. I love when I hear people say, I don't play music at all. I'm terrible, but I'm a fan, right? Because music, sports, all this stuff is worthless without the fans, right? The fans are half or even 75 or 99% of what's going on there. I want to ask Sorob here about the genesis of Ballers Collective. Can you speak to how it all works? How did you bring the team yeah. together? I met Steve actually through 888, who is a big influencer and collector in NFT and, and crypto space. And I've been connected with him for a couple of years now and respected him and the community he built and the passion that he brings. And 
when I was chatting with him about Ballers Collective and the concept, he's like, oh, I got to put you in touch with Steve. I think Steve would love this. So he was kind of the brought us uh, together here at the genesis of Ballers Collective and this concept. Our first four teams in the league, I'd call them free to play, right? You could literally come be a fan from anywhere in the world, sign up and call plays and interact and, and be on the leaderboard and, and have your vote counted. But when I started looking at what we were building, truly fan-controlled football is about digital community, right? Again, real players on the field, all the fans are engaging digitally. And what we saw in, in season one, which was February and March earlier this year, we saw our fans on Twitter changing their PFP to the Beast logo or the Glacier Boys logo, right? And we saw our fans come together on Discord and talk about the players that were going to draft on their team, a play call strategy. And so these things were starting to happen organically already in in fan-controlled football. And then as I dove further and further into NFTs and started seeing, again, the passion and the belonging and and the sense of like, hey, there's meaning around more than just a, you know, right-click and save JPEG. Like, I feel like I'm, I'm part of something, right? I feel like I'm part of a community. I really started formulating this concept of, okay, why don't we have these next four teams as we expand the league from four teams to eight teams? Why don't we build these next four teams around NFTs and a collectible and kind of a gated access where in order to be part of it, you have to express yourself and you have to, I mean, honestly, spending some money is the biggest form of engagement because now you you know you're a part of that thing, right? If you think about, I mean, Steve mentioned fantasy football. I mean, lots, millions, 40, 50 million people play fantasy football like people that are really into it are the ones that actually have a prize at the end of the season. You're paying up front, talk shit with your friends and engage. And, and those are the ones that are engaged all the way through to the end. Um, and so that's the passion that I saw. And that's what I wanted to recreate with the Ballers Collective. So at the heart of Ballers Collective, our four expansion teams are each going to have an NFT avatar, which we call a baller. As a fan, you'll be able to buy one of those NFTs and that will be your access to the community There will only be 10,000 for each team. So kind of capping the number of fans. To put it in perspective, we had tens of thousands of people calling plays and interacting with every one of our teams in the first season. So we are somewhat limiting the audience in terms of who's going to participate. But I actually think what we're going to get is the incredibly passionate people that really want to be part of building these teams. And the beauty of it is I wanted to start with communities that were already passionate, right? So, you, you know, Steve and 88's community are coming together to start their team. And what's interesting about it and the way that we let fans get involved, these teams aren't even brands. They don't have a name. They don't have a logo. They don't have anything. When we launched the Ballers Collective and the Ballers will be dropping in in January, Steve's fans and 888's fans are the first ones, their communities are the first ones that are going to have access to purchase the baller and be part of the team and then they get to brand the team. So it's all user-generated content. Their fans will submit names. They'll vote on the name they want. Their fans will submit logo designs. They'll vote on the logo they want. So everything is evolving from the community. And if you think about that sense of belonging and that sense of passion for sports and really for anything, if you had a say in, in how it ended up, right? if you get to draft the players on your team and then you get to call the plays, this sense of community and this sense of belonging is incredibly powerful we didn't script anything. This is all unscripted football. But if we were scripting our first season, we could not have scripted it better. Our championship game, it was 40 to 40, three seconds left. The ball was on the two yard line. And we have thousands of fans of the Wild Aces 
that literally called the game-winning touchdown in a championship game. They can literally say, I won the game. They can mean that, right? Dallas Cowboys fan, we won three Super Bowls in the 90s. I literally say, we won three Super Bowls. What did I do? I knew shit. I sat on my couch. I watched. I cheered. I was like excited (laughs) about it. I didn't do anything. So the ability to give, you know, fans this connection to a team in a much deeper way and let them feel like they are involved, not make them even feel like that. They are. The impact that they have on the outcome of the game is tangible. It's real. It creates this real belonging, which is, again, what I saw in NFTs in the first place, which is why I'm so excited about kind of merging those two worlds together. Yeah, dude, and with the NFTs, man, you can actually, if you made that call last year, of course, you have your account and you can say what team you were part of, but you could prove it now with the NFT, right? So Steve, I got to ask, you're doing this brain research, you're a DJ, have you given some thought into the music that's going to be accompanying your team, that's going to motivate your team and the fans and sort of create the optimal conditions for success? I'm working on a project where it's going to be all AI generated because that's also the future. It's like you can create the back end of an AI and create a character that will make their own music. I might create the sounds and I just, this little guy just pump out the beats. It's going to be interesting when that starts becoming more normalized. You know, that's also on the forefront too. And I'm working on that as we speak. Input from fans to actually help generate that music, right? So it becomes an interactive music experience too. Yeah. So like it could could be something to the effect of like, I'll have like my musical bed, like here's all the paints. This is like my curation of paints. These are colors that I designed. And then the fans are like, I want this color, this color, this color, you know, this stem, this stem, this stem, this stem. Yesterday, I just came home and I got the Donda stem of Kanye West's album on this little sound machine that was sent to me. Just becoming more normal to be able to allow people to just kind of make their own of what they hear, make their own of what they see. People want to play as well, interact as well, not just be a voyeur. Or a spectator. Well, I think that's a huge point, too. I think that's where Web3 is really unique versus, you know, Web2 and everything before it. Everything was a closed ecosystem before, right? And you think about big brands early on, this walled gardens, and you can't use my brand, and you can't use my logo, and you can't, you know, ju- use my content. We're going and where I think the whole world is headed is you should be lucky enough to have people use your brand because they are then going to reinforce your brand and bring new people into the mix. And, you know, that's what we want to do. We want to be the first open source sports league, right? We want to open up our player tracking data, right? Telemetry, ball data, player biometrics, like really open it up so fans and third parties can build on top of the league and create visuals and create draft strategies of players and who to sub in and out and like optimal play calling strategies and all of that. Sure. Could we build that ourselves and sell it and let people subscribe to it? Sure. What if we opened it up and had the world building on top of this thing and how much better and how much faster and how many more people would come in and get excited about those opportunities. So that's another reason why I'm so passionate about what's happening in the space is because everybody is thinking about it in an open world, not a closed world, right? Blockchain, the entire smart contract concept is it is public. It's not private. This is publicly available. You can go take somebody's smart contract and then build on top of it and improve on it and create new things and interact, have your uh, systems interact and and interoperate. I mean, the possibilities, as you said, are, are endless. And 
We're waking up every single day to seeing the innovation, to Steve's point, it's not teams of a thousand people that are innovating. It's teams of one and two that are coming up with this amazing shit that we're all like, wow, like this is where the world is headed. And it's really exciting. So much happening, so much possibility, bringing teams together and actually executing. We're talking to, to two guys that are actually doing this, right? Actually executing, which is amazing. So when we think about what's next, what's on the roadmap, you know, what's next, big announcements, partnerships, what's popping, you know, so Rob on the uh, FCF. Yeah, one. we've got our series A, which uh, we're closing up uh, here over the, over the next uh, week or so. I'm really excited about who's uh, who's coming in on the round. So Animoca is leading the round. Delphi Digital is participating in the round. Gemini is participating in the round. Like the who's who of Web3, I think are really seeing the opportunity. There is a ton of innovation happening in sports and entertainment in the Web3 space. I think what's unique about where we sit is we don't have a players union. We don't have 32 owners who need to approve something. We don't have red tape. You know, we don't have these long-term partnerships and deals with distribution companies. Like we are nimble, we are innovative. We want to be this testing ground for everything in sports and entertainment and Web3. And I think people are starting to see that. So, you know, what's next for us? We're going to announce our Series A and all of our investors. We're going to announce two more teams and very well-known, huge communities in the NFT space who are going to be also bringing teams to fan-controlled football. Can't announce them yet, but you guys will know who they are. We're really excited about those partnerships. First game in season two is, is April of next year, April 16th. You know, we announced a deal with NBC. So it's not only Twitch now, it's you can watch on cable and NBC and Peacock. And then we're working with uh, Animoca and Delphi on our tokenomics. And the idea is creating play to earn mechanics. We want to reward our fans for participating. You know, Jeff, you mentioned like you can keep track of calling those amazing plays with blockchain we're going to reward fans with the moment, right? So instead of having the NBA Top Shots model where you're buying packs and searching for the best moments, it's like, hey, if you're a fan that called the, the game-winning play in the championship game, you are going to get the moment because you're the one that made it happen. And so I'm working on a lot of those ideas of like, how do you create these play-to-earn mechanics and engage fans at a deeper level to really feel like the value, to your point, the value that they're creating, right? I think, Ethan, you said it best, like, fans are everything, right? In, in music, in sports, if they didn't exist, none of us would have a job. That's why we're doing this. That's why we're building it. And so figuring out the ways to reward the people that are putting in the time, putting in the effort, and quite frankly, that are building the value, right? The fans build the value. Right. Giving that value back in a meaningful way is a big part of what we're trying to do in fan-controlled sports. And Web3 allows opportunities to do that that no other technology had previously. Yeah, it's interesting. We were just at Decentral Miami and there was a, a gentleman walking around who works with POAP and they send him to these conventions and they give him these proof of, of attendance things to scan so people can prove they were there. You know, it's a huge thing, right? And you're saying people can prove that they called the game winning play and things like that. But what's really interesting about this is the tangential outcomes you might not have expected from people proving that they were part of a moment or that they helped make a decision. So this guy said he had already been collecting POAPs, right? This was just something he was excited about. And by showing someone his collection, he could get a job, right? Oh, you were here, 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 right? Well, that tells me with 
a great degree of certainty that you fit this profile and we want you to work this particular position. It's almost better than filling out your resume on LinkedIn where it could be fudged or you attended this school, which looks really good, but you were a D student or something like that. You were there, you know, you participated. It's really interesting to think of the repercussions of this stuff. Maybe uh, the NFL will be grabbing some of our play calling fans for coordinator positions. Yeah, you, know, in the you future. never know, so man. You we have know. we have the proof. Hey, man, Gary V should start his ownership journey in FCF, right? We know he wants the go. Jets, but that's that's where we should start. I think I think Josh had one additional question yeah, before yeah. we move you on know, to quick hitters. We, normally, we pontificate on the future. I think we've done a lot of that. I'm just curious for each of you guys. What is the most random recent NFT project that you aped into, perhaps with very little due diligence? Just curious if that occurs. <laughs> I know I occasionally go for these bananas that are ripe and tasty, and I don't actually know what I just bought. So, I'm, uh, <laughs> Did you so, say if that occurs, Josh? Come on. Yeah. <laughs> we, all, we all know. We all any, know. <laughs> any recent aping behavior that you guys uh, can share? I bought 33 women and weapons NFTs. Yeah, I've aped in pretty hard on that one. Um, I mean, the world of women, I aped in like, you know, I don't know, months and months back, but I think this was like, this is kind of like a similar feeling that I get with, with world of women on this one. I love the art. I didn't really do much research. I just it's like, Oh, this is a female artist. I do want to support more female NFT artists in general. And I have actually a Gnosis wallet with People pleaser, where we do do that, where we only buy female NFT artists. Yeah, um, we had her on the show. She talked about that. That's dope. Yeah, you know, I'm very honored to work with Emily on our one on one that we did with Sotheby's. It was great to work with her. She's an incredible human being. I just love the art. I love that this is new. Also, I love the fact that it like helps support like a burgeoning young artist. That's like that's new, that's fresh, and that'll hopefully help per project grow if I'm buying that many pieces and people see that. Amazing. So Robert, anything that you recently aped into? Yeah, without doing a whole lot of research, Mad Rabbit Riot Club, something that I jumped into. I really like, well, the art is phenomenal. I think it's incredible. I own 70 rabbits. But what I really like is their storytelling and they've got these, like, they've been doing these airdrops with these different pills that you're apparently going to be able to give to your rabbit. And then it's going to do something. I mean, and nobody knows what, but that's part of the fun is like, you, we keep getting these airdrops and there's this cool storytelling aspect in the discord. And so to me, that's where the creativity is coming in. We keep talking about all this stuff that's happening. There's so many things we're even not even touching on, right? Which is like the ability to create these stories and take people down these journeys and have NFTs that interact like you know i think steve's project was pretty cool in that you could combine nfts to make other nfts there's just all of this stuff that is starting to pop that one was a fun kind of late night i just got so into art and i was like all right let's let's ape into this and and see what happens and i've been enjoying the ride so it's fun nice yeah so much fun look fun is part of the space right it's such a key element of what's happening here bringing people into the space sustaining the energy you know drawing on that passion we gotta we gotta have a good time and i think we are again really appreciate all the background and everything you've been working on so excited about the ballers collective and your guys collaboration around that it's going to draw so many more people into fcf we can't wait to get in the mix ourselves hey there want to know which nft mints are taking off would you like to know about them in real time while they're still taking off What about tracking NFTs before they launch and seeing which ones are gathering a real Twitter following or boosting their discords? Which ones are hot and could take off like a rocket because so many people are excited for their launch? 
Mythia, a forthcoming NFT project themselves, have built both of these tools for you even before they've launched, and it's free, just because they're cool like that. Go to edgeofnft.com slash Mythia to find out more. That's M-Y-T-H-I-A. Find out any upcoming NFTs, Discord and Twitter growth trajectory, and which mints are happening in real time so you can jump on if you see them taking off. Go to edgeofnft.com slash Mythia to find out more. M-Y-T-H-I-A. Yes, it's free. I'm heading there now myself. So we wanted to shift gears a little bit and talk from a personal perspective about a few questions that we have. It's called Edge Quick Hitters. It's kind of a fun, quick way to get to know you a little better. It's 10 questions. We're looking for short, single word or few word answers, but we can expand if we get the urge. You guys ready to dive in? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Awesome. Okay. So Rob, we'll start with you. What is the first thing you remember ever purchasing in your life? Ice cream from the ice cream truck. Nice, solid go-to. Steve, how about you? I'm pretty sure I bought this. I can't guarantee I did. But the <laughs> first vinyl that I ever there you go. bought, yes, I have to say I bought it because I remember doing this in an interview. This is why I can remember this. Because I remember the first vinyl I ever bought was DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince, oh, yeah. Nightmare on My Street 45 single. Nice. It's, like, it's, it's like, I don't know how much it was, like probably two bucks, but... I remember like this is the first vinyl I ever bought myself. Like I was a nightmare than my on Elm Street fan, Freddy Krueger fan, and I yeah. you know I love Fresh Prince. So yeah, I know every word of that song. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. We're gonna <laughs> we're, for, <laughs> we do have a fourth secret segment called the karaoke section. So there we'll, we go. Uh, Let's roll. <laughs> we'll help you prove it, bro. Uh, awesome. Let's go to question two. So Rob, what is the first thing you remember ever selling in your life? Probably my Halloween candy out of my backpack at school. Nice. Trade in some calories for some cash, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A little Came. entrepreneur will get a little, little side money, right? Well, That's we right. Had a, uh, pocket, we, pocket change. I love we it. We had a guest that bought from the wholesale store with his uncle and then sold it retail to his sister. younger sister at that that was solid yeah a little arbitrage opportunity steve how about you what's the first thing you remember ever selling in your life so the first thing i sold was this isn't my item so this might not be like the correct answer but i worked for at a flea market when i was like god i was like probably like nine or ten so this is like child labor laws weren't weren't child labor. Yeah. I don't know what I probably was like four foot tall. My mom dropped me off. It's like, (laughs) you have to work for this guy. I was selling hats. So I sold some hats. I don't know how many I sold, but yeah, I was a salesman. I was like a nine year old salesman. And then the guy at the end of the day was like, he's like, um, I'm like, he gave me like 20 bucks or whatever it was. He gave me. And I'm like, Holy shit. I got 20 bucks. This is pretty cool. Or whatever I got. And then he's like, all right, that was your last day. Sorry. I'm like, why? He's like, you can't even reach the hats. Like, I have to like help you get the hats to sell. Like, I'm like, I remember that. I was so I was so disappointed. Oh, yeah. Well, sorry to hear uh, that, brother. Nice. Well, uh, I think uh, you've come a long way since then. That's for sure. Yeah, I think it's a good career. <laughs> you good can career reach the hats now. Actually, I don't think he paid me. He gave me a hat. 
Oh, He's man. like, take this hat like you're a shit. <laughs> We're going to march you right over there and get you that job back. That's it, I think you're tall enough. You know the deal. Like, maybe it cost $20, but cover cost him $2. So that Yeah, yeah. Nice. This guy totally did a one over on me. Uh, That's it, man. That's it. All right, question number three, guys. What is the most recent thing you purchased, Sorum? The Dak Prescott rookie card. Solid pickup, my man. Steve has left the building. He's like, I'm out. <laughs> he's going to get he's his gonna receipts. Get, he's gonna get he's got some receipts. He's going to get it. Oh, here, yeah. here we go. Here we go. Have it's we had uh, not a Maybach? I guess he's not yeah. carrying that in. Uh, S. <laughs> S. Hey, you ready? Let's go. Uh, let's see. You ready? Let's go. go. Are you ready? This is. What'd you pick up? I just bought this. Like actually, right before I got before I did this interview. Oh, we'll start with this one. There's a couple can't of wait. this is it has to be cards, so I can't wait. Sean O'Malley. Yes. He's my favorite. Okay. <laughs> yeah, he's my favorite, like he's my favorite UFC. fighter. He's also a friend of mine. So it makes it even better. Like to collect people that you know. This is a one of one 2019 auto, but I have a lot of this particular card, but not the one of one. So I finally got the one of one of this. That's that's like pretty cool. Here's another one of one right here of Sean O'Malley. Wow. Here. This is another one of one. All one of ones. Bro. Sick. That oh, is amazing. I don't think we've ever cool. had the actual presentation of the most recent thing. <laughs> yeah, so that's pretty great. Yeah. yeah. I think this is a one of one, actually. This is this is just like Sugar Sean O'Malley. This, Let's go. Yeah, right here. One of one of this one. This is the museum 2019. So Jeff and I are, are diehard UFC fans, Steve. Yeah. He's fighting yeah. this weekend too, I think, right? I probably have the most insane. I have to flex on this. I have the most insane, the definitely by far the best Panini UFC card collection. Not tops. I don't have like those people that mm -hmm. just been collecting tops for a long time. But since Panini came in the last year, I just went in. I just was like, you know, I've canvassed yeah. pretty hard. But now I'm I'm pretty much done with that. I don't I, like people are keeping like, oh, hey, okay, you want this too? I'm like, no, I'm done. <laughs> too much. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> they know they know how to trigger it, right? Awesome, man. Awesome. Okay, let's move on. Question number four. So, Rob, what is the most recent thing you sold? It was a Lamar, Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson rookie card I sold recently. How much? Oh, wow. That was like two grand. The last thing I sold was today it sold from Aoki's card house. I have an account on hmm. eBay, Aoki's card house, and then also my Instagram. So everything cards, I have that. And I sold a Lewis Hamilton top now PSA 10, put it up for buy it now for 1200 and it's all. Boom. There we go. Yeah. Solid. Very solid. Did you guys, did you guys know you had a couple of cardboard nerds on your show? I mean, we had, we had, we had some indications uh, from our initial research. We didn't want to go too crazy with it, but you could just turn this into a card show. I mean, Steve could take over and start talking cards. We, we, you know, we'll save that for Maddie we'll, Kalish we'll, and, and Gary Vee. We'll, we'll spin that off and uh, get you set up. All right, question five, guys. Of collectible cards. Yes, exactly. <laughs> at the show now. All right, question five, and I think I know where this is going. But what is your most prized possession outside of my children my beautiful wife and my children which of course i mean obviously that's number one i have a 2003 exquisite lebron james Ooh. gold rpa wow only 23 of them in the world and that is my pride and joy as a probably i mean i guess as i was gonna say as a card collector but i think just as a human being mm. i think that's the that's, that's what, my go-to what grade right is it so. so it's only an eight 
I used to own the 9.5, which is sad story because I sad. I bought it for 40 grand when people thought I was insane. Ended up selling it in 2015 to fund my dream of building a football league. So I sold it for 100 grand back in 2015. So it was <laughs> seed money for what I'm doing now. The card is probably worth $10 million now. SCF will be worth way more than $10 million. There we go. I've got my mark. You know, I've got my mark. So I know what I got to build to get back my LeBron. So, but yeah, I'm, that's my pride and joy. What's nice. the eight worth, you think? I turned down $4 million for it. Turned Ooh. down $4 million. So he's got basically, you have like a $4.5 million card. Just to be clear, I got that card for like 150 grand before the pandemic. Yeah, think about uh, that. That's trade. like that's like NFT to the moon. That's a good investment. Value. Yeah, it mooned. Definitely mooned for mm. sure. <laughs> Solid. I got to get into card collecting, guys. We, yes, we you do. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, this is, there's like a point. It's not even one percent. It's point like one percent of cards that have this kind of trajectory. The rest right. are like, oh, U two X. You know, like wow, uh, so. Just cool. like NFT projects, like the point oh one percent. That's right. Yeah, exactly. It's the same thing. It's like it just goes across the board. Steve, um, what is your most prized possession? My car's worth like more than it's like forty million. I'm just I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I just I, I have to one up Sora, man. Do it. I gotta do something on the cars that's better than that. No, I have. I, He's got I'd a say, one billion dollar car. So I have. Yeah, I have like a two billion dollar card. It's basically just it's a picture of me. <laughs> My prized possession is I got. The Pokemon Illustrator card, I bought it raw for $420,000 off a Japanese auction. And that's already sketchy to begin with to buy a raw card because you don't know if it's <laughs> counterfeit. You don't know if it's dinged up and beaten up. You don't know anything. But these cards, like that particular card, the Illustrator Pokemon card is the, the holiest of holy grail cards of the biggest IP franchise franchise there is. You know, Pokemon's bigger than Hello Kitty, bigger than Marvel, bigger than Star Wars, bigger than, you know, all these, like, if you look at the graph. And this is the holiest grail card. I think there's only like 20 of them that's ever been made or 20 to 40 ever been made. And it's the most visible, most well-known of the Pokemon cards. So that card, I was like, I have to get it. I'm going to just go in and like, spend close to half a million on this, this potential card that could be fake or whatever. Seller was verified some things people were like he's like the right guy so i was like okay i'm gonna i'm just gonna go for it bought the card had someone deliver it to me from japan actually they're friends of mine they're good friends of mine and then i graded the card the next day and i was just like please card gods take care of me and it graded a psa 9 which is absolutely phenomenal i did not expect a 10 because you just you can't expect those things psa 10 would be just astronomical value PSA nine plus that's the Aoki collection pedigree on the PSA tag, which actually adds a premium cool. value to it. Okay. Can I get that on my LeBron? Can you throw that on my LeBron card? The Aoki, Aoki collection. collection. But I think that card's gotta be like, I think without the Aoki collection tags, probably 1.5. With the tag, I mean, I just hard for me to sell it. I was saying 2.5 it would be my my That's the problem. I just never want to sell my car. Like my wife's always looking at me sideways, like, "Are you nuts? Like you turn down that much money?" I was like, "I don't. I'll never get one again." Like, I, well, I, I mean, don't want to get rid of it. Yeah, because you already <laughs> sold it. It's like when I sold my board, my CryptoPunk, I bought it for 150, and then it like put it. I listed listed it for 300 ETH, and it sold 21 days later, and I was upset. 
Even though I made 850k profit, I was like, "No, I didn't want it to sell." Like, this is, that was the price that no one was supposed to buy it for, and then it sold. And that's like, why they're your back. most prized possessions, guys. Right? Exactly. Right. It's hard to let go, man. It's hard. That's right. Yeah. Let's stay on that same thread. Question six: If you could buy anything in the world—digital, physical, service, and experience—that's currently for sale, what would that be? So, Rob, start with you, man. I mean, it would for sure be a professional sports team. I don't know if it would be an NFL. It can't be the Cowboys because Jerry Jones, it's not for sale. And Jerry Jones, I think he is an Android. He's never dying. He's never selling the Cowboys. So I'll have never, never have a chance. I would say they're maybe an NBA, quite honestly, because, you know, I've got the FCF for my football fix. So I say an NBA team. Awesome. Yeah, that would be amazing. Do you have a particular team that, that you got in mind? I'm trying to think of one off the top of my head that's actually for sale, which I don't really remember <laughs> which one is for sale. I would be, I would care. I'd buy yeah, any team. I'd rebrand it. We'd let fans vote on it. Like it would be yeah, great. Awesome. Uh, yeah. Be, that's the answer. Awesome. Steve, how about you? I would like to buy with the unlimited cash that I would have on this one. I was thinking SpaceX. Because I do agree with Elon that interplanetary uh, conquest is important. We're going to eventually get there. But in order to get there, I want to be alive for that. That's like the tool. You know, you first need to be alive for all this stuff, right? Because like eventually that that's human civilization will be leaving the planet and will be conquesting space. That's certainly going to happen. But I want to be alive for all that stuff. So I want to own the most important longevity company so that like we can develop ways where we can eventually live forever. Kindred yeah. spirits here, man. I, yeah. Give me 200 years on this planet. I want to see where we are. Yeah, I mean, listen, like, like, it's just going to be awesome. All of us are like, we're, you know, I don't know how old you guys are, but like I can say between 30 to 50 years old. Right. So maybe older, I'm not sure. But anyways, but like that only allows for us, if we were to live on the average life expectancy of like what people live for now, only 30 to 40 years left. I mean, that's not that much time. Like yeah, I'm, four, not, I'm, I'm 44. Time. I'm like, I've learned 0.1% of what I want to go for. I have so <laughs> much more to go. Like Ali, you're always telling me I only have 40 more years left. That's it. I'm so excited to learn and live and explore and experience. And you're telling me I only have 40 years left, <laughs> yeah, 40 dude. fucking years left. That's it. This is just, just not enough time. Let's like, up that number, man. Yeah, for I mean, sure. Like, the thing is, like, how do, do we expand that? That's why I'm like, whenever I meet rich people, your goal is to, you know, if you care about life, because time is the most valuable asset we have, shouldn't your goal be to fund and research people that are figuring out how to extend our lives in a healthier, longer, happier way. And I think more on the lines of not myself, but more on the lines of people that are already in their seventies and eighties that I love dearly. Like my mother is 78. I want her to live. I always say, mom, you're living to 120 minimum, minimum. Yep. So don't ever stop learning. She comes to my house and does piano. She comes to my house and does chess. I'm like, I'm always putting her on programs. I'm like, you have to like, constantly train your brain, use it or you lose it. I'm like pushing her to do so much. She's like, no, oh, please stop. I'm like, mom, you got to do golf every week. You got to do this. You got to learn. You got to learn. You got to learn. You got to learn. Use your brain, use your brain, use your brain. And you got to do yoga. You got to work out because you use it or you lose it. And I'm like, mom, you need to live till you're 120. And I think all of us have people that we love and that are older that we're like, 
that would destroy our lives if something was to happen. And all I'm thinking about is we need to fund people that are passionate in these fields to help us find solutions where we can eventually cure death. Death is an illness. I believe that we can cure. I really believe it. It's not something that's definitive. I think we can believe that. I believe we can cure death as it's an illness like cancer. And we could actually cure that, but we need to fund that. And that's why I have Aoki Foundation. I want to fund and research, fund research on longevity, on the brain, how to expand, be creative, find out how to cognitively do more, how to like squeeze the pulp of our brain to the ultimate extent that we can with the research and science that we have with people that are in the labs, fucking tinkering away, making shit happen. We need billions of dollars going to that. I mean, I'm unfortunately only raising hundreds of thousands of dollars for that, but I want to get <laughs> billionaires in there going, you're 60 now. Don't you care to live longer? You need to put more money into like research here. And here's great organizations doing that. You know, that kind of Yeah, man. It all matters, dude. We appreciate that. Again, I mentioned it briefly earlier, but we got a doctor of neuroscience here and Ethan Janney that can help in that pursuit as well. We talk about this stuff and, a lot. Uh, And Steve, I dropped some alpha in our chat. Check out this article about dual species measurement of genetic age with a single clock reversing age. It's a blood plasma treatment that my friend turned me on to that this guy apparently is the real deal. RX, this one? BioRx. Yeah, yeah. Check this out and we can chat about it after. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. I'll try working on the rest of the stuff, Jeff. Thanks. I'll probably, probably put the responsibility on my shoulders. It's, it's all you, yeah, Ethan. You got it, bro. Make it happen. So, guys, let's let's shift gears a little bit and uh, hit question seven. Okay, so if you could pass on one of your personality traits to the next generation, what would that be, Sora? The secret to success is never being being afraid to fail. I think Steve touched on that a little bit. My parents early on. I've got two younger brothers. My dad always pushed us. He's like, try something. If you get knocked on your ass, pick yourself up and go try something else. And I think as I look around at my friends and people I grew up with and, and people that have gone on to do great things, I think the people that have that have done the traditional nine to five job and the difference that, between them and the people that are the creators and the innovators, it is literally not being afraid to fail, right? It's that willingness to, as Steve say, you know, drive around the country in a van and sleep on a couch and gives a shit about the money. Like I'm going to go do it and I'm going to give it a try. And and to me, I think if everybody, I don't know that everybody, if everybody in the world had that and we were all trying to innovate, we might not get anywhere in the world. So it's good that not everybody has that, but I think a little bit of that in, in everybody to take those risks and not be afraid to put yourself out there and get smacked down from time to time. I think that's what I'd pass on. Hell yeah. Awesome. Steve, how about you? Definitely gratitude. As long as you're grounded in just the the feeling of just being grateful to exist or to do what you do, then all things coming from that place, you'll realize it's it's come from the right place. You have to be grateful for the things that you have and focus on those things. And those things will grow and bloom so much fortune around you, even though maybe perspective from someone else is like, oh, that's nothing. It doesn't matter for you, as long as it's like, you're grateful for what you have. Everything is so special. It's like the end of the day, it's like, who cares about the perspective from other people? Your life is the one that matters, right? 
If you don't care about what anyone else thinks and you're just grateful for what you have and you do the best for the things that you have in front of you, for the people you have in front of you, if you're grateful there, they'll be grateful for what you're offering for them. Going back to like what we're talking about, like playing in front of a room of eight people, I stand there with a sense of gratitude that those eight people even came to see me play. And then like, it's meaningful to me. I'm like, this is the only thing that matters. I don't care about anything else. You're here for me and I am grateful for you. So let's make this a very fucking special moment. And like those people will remember that. And I will remember that. Most yeah. importantly, I will remember that. Yeah. Because you can't go in and go, oh, fuck this, man. I mean, no one's here. Fuck this shit. Like, you guys, no one fucking cares. I'm not going to give some bullshit. No, you fucking give your all when you're there. Because like, fuck, you're lucky to even be doing what you're doing. Whatever you do, as long as we really genuinely are grateful for the things that we have in front of us. That's life. That's like what the point of life is. Be grateful for everything you have in front of you, the people that you have in front of you. And like, it's like you start realizing that when some of these people disappear or they're gone, you know, and they leave the earth, you're just like, I'm so happy that I had this moment with these people. And I gave them hundred percent of my gratitude that they're with me. So important, man. Both traits, guys. Really appreciate that. Let's flip it on its head. If you could eliminate one of your personality traits from the next generation, what would that be? Sora? I would say, honestly, I think it's probably, I don't know if this is a personality trait, but it is, I'm not very good at staying in touch, even mm -hmm. with the people that are really close and important in my life. And so it's generally them reaching out to me. Not to say that I don't care, but it's like, it's not a piece of me to really be outgoing and in, in reaching out and staying in touch with people in my network. I wish I was better at it. And so I would, because I, to Steve's point, like as much as I am grateful for all these people, I don't know that everybody knows that because I don't, it's just not part of my DNA to be really outgoing in that way. And then I wish I was more. So I think that's a hugely important thing that I lack that I hope everybody else has. Yeah, man. But very self-aware. We appreciate that, man. Steve, how about you? When I hear that, I feel like that goes with me as well. In order for me to combat that, because I have that issue too, I, I had this neuroscientist come and we, we put on this brain helmet and it has all these nodes everywhere. And it gave me a lot of information about my brain, where the spikes are in my head. And it gave me some information that like, I actually, I didn't know, but I was certain that I had some level of ADD. I'm not like ADHD, but I had like, I definitely have, I think about more things than the average person. So like when the average person thinks of like seven things, like when we're sitting here, we, we like feel our ass touching the seat. We hear like, we hear our voice coming out. Like, you know, we think of seven things all at the same time. Like from this information, I can see, I think about 12 or whatever the number was, but it's a little bit more. I'm always thinking about more things, which does distract you, right? And it doesn't allow you to be present, which is my whole point. Gratitude, basically, it ends with presence of mind. Because when you're more presence of mind, then greatness happens, actually. Yeah. Greatness happens when you're present of mind. Clearly, the successful people are the most present people. The people that are drifting off into space because they're thinking about too many things, they're missing on some of the most important things happening in their lives right there and then. And I've learned that so many fucking times I've missed out on certain things because I was drifting off. And so in order to combat that, 
mindfulness is the best way to combat that meditation daily ice baths you know i was doing them almost daily at one point now i'm doing like once the once a week to twice a week heat therapy get into saunas and sitting in there at 200 degrees at least 25 minutes to get the heat shock proteins to develop in your body they reduce all the uh plaque buildup in your brain which causes alzheimer's and and memory loss and obviously plaque buildup in your heart different ways like wim hof breathing i do that it's just great it's really, i was, really, I was really just going to ask about wim hof yeah. have you ever done anything the ice walk or anything with wim hof I've done the ice bath with Wim over Zoom just because he's cool. the homie. We did a I video. Think, uh, well, Ethan, don't we don't we know about a Winhoff breathing NFT project coming up? Shh. Um, <laughs> nice. You're breathing. That's like, that's how I breathe. Like, that's coming. That's, that's coming down the pipeline. <laughs> is a I want to go. <laughs> is, I want to go do the. What is he, he's got that like week long out and up in the mountains where you just kind of go crazy in the cold and want to go do that with yeah. him at some point. Well, a friend of ours playhouse. We we do ice baths on a regular. All a right. friend of ours went and did some filming with him for I think a documentary or something. Ted. Oh yeah. What about holotropic breath work? Are you familiar with that, Steve? No. Tell me about that. I've heard the name, but yeah. I, I oh, you got to give a shot. And I actually connected. You're going to connect with Transparent on a project. I, we we met him. What was that? A couple of days ago. I told him about this as well. We have a few friends, Josh and I, that are experts in this. One of them is named Sam Morris, warrior, Zen warrior training or something like that. Look him up and he'll, he'll guide you through this breath work holotropic, but it's different than Wim Hof. It's a different pace and you do it maybe for like a half hour straight or longer. And it's like, <sighs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I've done that. Yes. Yeah. 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 And you, you literally yeah. have psychedelic experiences because DMT is released from your lungs when you breathe this way. Yeah. I, yeah. So I, I didn't know the term uh, right when you said it, but because my ex, we would do breath work pretty much every day. She became a breath work coach. So she was doing go. all, cause like I was doing Wim Hof and then she just went down like every rabbit hole, every different kind of breath work that you can do, including that one. And we, we did that holotropic. That's pretty cool. It's cool stuff, guys. We got a, a couple more, more quick more. hitters. These are easy ones. So question number nine. Uh, so Rob, what did you do just before joining us on the podcast? What I've been doing for the last couple months, I had a call with a investor for our Series A raise. Yeah, get it, buddy. Steve, how about you? I just woke up, to be honest with you. I, I, my <laughs> friend needs some eggs. It's like here, we, we just flew back from Florida yesterday. I bought those O'Malley cards right, be, literally right before. It's Migs, man. It's just like, you know, this morning is waking up a little bit later than usual, you know, but that's how it is when you're a night guy. I played some Call of Duty last night right when I got in, last the last <laughs> hours of Verdansk. You know, I'd get my gaming in as well. So yeah, a little bit of that. Right on, right on. Cool. Last question, question 10. So Rob, what are you going to do next after the podcast? I mean, it's the most boring answer ever, but I'm literally going into another investor call. <laughs> bro, <laughs> but I think, always... I think I'm going to go get myself a coffee before I do that because they just keep stacking up. So take note, I'm guys. Energy here. Always be closing, right? <laughs> always be closing. That's, That's right, it. Baby. Steve, how about you? I got Aoki Bootcamp. I got basically what I call the Aoki Bootcamp where we go in, we go hard. I got my gym here and we do all a series of different workouts here and to stay fresh. Steve, stay, I'm going to have to come out. I'm going to have to come out to Vegas for a week and do some ice bath, Aoki workouts and breathing sessions yeah. and get my shit together, you know? So let's do it. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Yeah, man. That sounds amazing. Well, guys, thanks. That's Edge Quick Hitters. We appreciate it. And we covered a large swath of information, tons of projects 
tons of hot topics already. I think we spent a good amount of time in there, guys. I don't think we need to touch on any other hot topics in the space at this point. I think really uh, elevating everything that you guys are working on together and independently is amazing. It's been great to go deep on these subjects with you guys. It's been so much fun. Here's a hot topic. Now, here's a hot topic. I just saw this article come out. It's a little ad that was in the paper, I think. It says, men wanted for hazardous journey, low wages, bitter cold, long hours of complete darkness, safe return doubtful, honor and recognition in event of success. Steve, is that... (laughs) Is that, for is that a Wim Hof ad? Is that a call out for you? <laughs> <laughs> this is like, is this this like Antarctica very... <laughs> or Alaska? <laughs> <laughs> this is actually, it made me think of this earlier when you're talking about kind of wanting to take the risk and be on yeah. the edge of things. It's a famous ad by this guy named Shackleton. He figured he wanted to bring these guys on this ship and it was going to be a real tough journey, but he might as well just... Yeah, it's like, you right will die most And it worked. And it worked. You will, you, <laughs> you will awesome. die or like be like floating in the sea and then some shark will eat you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so the things people will do for fame and fortune, well, it doesn't sound like fortune, but fame at least, right? right. So, <laughs> well, apropos for the end of the show, fellas, before we wrap though, where can folks go to learn more about you and the projects you're working on, socials and uh, websites, other locations? Uh, Sora, where should folks go? FCF.io is our website. Sorob F at Twitter, S-O-H-R-O-B-F. And you can find us on Twitter as well, F-C-F-L-I-O. Get all the information there and uh, come sign up for a team, register, get ready for the ballers. And a bunch of announcements uh, over the next couple of months as we head into season two in April. Nice. Steve, how about you, man? The best thing to do is just follow me on Twitter at Steve Aoki. So follow awesome. me on Twitter. Obviously, every other social media I have. You want music? Spotify. You know, like I got, of course, I have my own website, stevioki.com. But but all NFT, anything like that, Twitter, that's where we get uh, make our announcements. Discord, all that information, where you want to get into Discord, where you want to get into all the stuff we're talking about. Twitter is pretty much the main source. Awesome. So check it out, listeners. Amazing information coming from Sorob and Steve. Uh, Word on the street is we also have an amazing giveaway coming your way from our gracious guests. Word is we got FCF giving away five FCF ballers for Team Aoki and five FCF ballers for Team uh, KOD. So keep an eye on our socials for the specifics of how to throw your hat in the ring for this killer opportunity. It's going to be a blast. All right, team. Well, I think we've reached the outer limit at the edge of NFTs for today. Thanks for exploring with us. We've got space for more adventures on this starship. So invite your friends and recruit some cool strangers that will make this journey all so much better. How? Go to iTunes right now, rate us and say something awesome. Then go to edgeofnft.com to dive further down the rabbit hole. And remember, we always invite you to co-create and build with us at Edge of NFT. We're unlocking a whole new way to connect and collaborate with us through our own NFT drop, Spirit Seed NFTs, in collaboration with one of our favorite humans on the planet, Nicole Buffett, an amazing artist and philanthropist whose project Spirit Coins serves as the inspiration for the drop. There are only 100 Spirit Seeds that will ever be minted, and you can grab one for 0.55 ETH at spiritseeds.xyz. We've shared this project within our community first as a thank you for your support. 
Each seed holder will receive one of 10 8-bit generative spirit seed designs from our very own Ethan Janney. Again, only 100 ever. It'll offset your carbon for one year. You'll receive one transferable VIP ticket to NFTLA, February 22nd to 24th, 2022. You'll get one living tree with all the co-creation access contests and admission perks that you'll love. And you will get a 10% chance of winning a spirit coin with a recent floor of two to four ETH and many drops, merch, and other surprises in the near future. Again, head over to spiritseeds.xyz to land one while they are available. Lastly, be sure to tune in next time for more great NFT content and go army, beat Navy. Thanks for sharing this time with us today. The views and opinions expressed on the Edge of NFT podcast reflect solely those views and opinions of the show creators and its guests. We're learning as we go, just like you. Please make sure to do your own research. Our podcast is not financial advice. There are multiple strategies and not all strategies fit all people. We understand that you are using any and all information available on or through this podcast at your own risk.